Quiz is a free weekday email and podcast where your shortcut to being informed. This week, we're taking a look at the World Health Organization. It's a pretty big deal, particularly at the moment. In this episode, we step through how it operates, the guy in charge, and some of the criticisms leveled at it of late. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. The World Health Organization, or the WHO, was launched on the 7th of April 1948. Claire, that was just a couple of years after the founding of the United Nations in 1945. What's the WHO got to do with the UN? The World Health Organization is an agency of the United Nations. The UN has a very broad remit focused on sustainable development, security, humanitarian disasters, amongst many other things. So you can kind of see how a dedicated health agency within that sprawling United Nations supports that work. All right. So its its main purpose is, according to the World Health Organization website, to work worldwide to promote health, keep the world safe and serve the vulnerable. That's a, a pretty wide ranging job. Can we get a <laughs> bit more specific? We can. At a, at a top level, they work to combat diseases and that includes communicable diseases like influenza and HIV and coronavirus and non-communicable diseases like cancer and heart disease. They also have a focus on maternal health, particularly in developing nations, and they do a lot of work around safe food and water supplies and providing vulnerable populations with medicines and vaccines. And it's a, a member organisation? Yeah, that's right. So they're called member states. They're basically countries and territories. And when it was founded, it had 55 member states. It now has 194. It's grown quite a bit. That's quite big. Each of these member states is able to appoint a delegate to the World Health Assembly. That's the World Health Organization's top decision-making body. They meet annually in Geneva, Switzerland, and they vote on policy matters brought to the Assembly, and they determine how the money's spent. You've got me wondering who Australia's delegate is. That would be Australia's Chief Medical Officer, Professor Brendan Murphy. Well, that makes sense. And if you want to know a bit more about him, we've got a squeeze shortcut that does just that. Amazing. Just so happens. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the Assembly, though, they also appoint the Executive Board as well as the Director General of the World Health Organization. They do. The Executive Board is made up of 34 health experts from member nations. They're there for a three-year term. The main functions of the Board are to implement the decisions and policies of the Health Assembly, to advise and generally to facilitate its work. And Australia actually sits on the Board at the moment. And as I mentioned, there is then the head honcho of the whole organisation, that's the Director General. At the moment, that person is Dr Tedros Adenom Gabriasis. He's got a pretty big job right now. Plus, he's taking a fair bit of heat. Let's have a look now at the guy in charge. Dr. Tedros Adenom Gabriasis, we're going to call him Dr. Tedros from now on, is an <laughs> Ethiopian. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, he's the first African head of the World Health Organization. He took office two and a half years ago. Claire, tell us a bit about him. Dr. Tedros, as you say, he's Ethiopian. As far as his career, he's not a medical doctor. He has a PhD in community health and a master's of science in immunology of infectious diseases. But his work has mainly been political. He was Ethiopia's health minister, then the foreign minister before successfully campaigning to lead the World Health Organization. 
COVID-19 is a once-in-a-hundred-year crisis. His handling of the outbreak so far hasn't been without criticism. Some saying he took too long, Claire, to declare a public health emergency. There's criticism that the WHO missed opportunities to contain the virus to China. China first put up its hand on the 31st of December to say that there was a problem. And by the 20th of January, the first cases arose outside of China. So critics say that there was almost three weeks there that they could have stopped it in its tracks. A global health emergency, though, was declared on the 30th of January and it was labelled a pandemic on the 11th of March. It might sound like semantics, but each of those levels determines what the WHO can do to step up its response. For example... For example, the world's governments and the scientific community look to the UN to classify health risks, mm. and that determines local efforts like screening at airports and monitoring of outbreaks. But it also determines the level of global cooperation on issues such as funding and drug development. Right. And the more severe the warning and widespread the outbreak of disease, the more funding and cooperation that's required. So in response to the criticisms, Dr Tedros has hit back recently saying that the organisation's role was to offer science-based advice and then it was up to individual countries whether or not they implemented that advice. And given the scale of what's happened since the start of this, there's a lot of people, countries and organisations ducking for cover and pointing fingers, not just Dr Tedros. But the criticism doesn't end there with countries like the US taking issue with how he's dealt with where the coronavirus started, that being in China, of course. Yes, in particular, US President Donald Trump has accused the WHO of being too quick to accept the information that China provided in the early days of the pandemic. I seem to remember Trump praised China in those early days, though. He did, but he now says that he's not happy that the WHO has praised China for its response. And the US is also looking at accusations that China initially covered up the existence of the virus. And they're also not happy about the funding arrangement. We need to take a step back before we get into that. Let's have a look now at, at how the WHO is actually funded. The World Health Organization's budgets are biennial. That means they go over two years. Its 2021 budget is nearly US $5 billion. That's up 9% from the previous budget. Much of that money, Claire, comes from mandatory funding from its member states that we talked about earlier, the amounts of which are assessed based on each country's income and population. That's right. And the US is by far the biggest contributor of funding to the World Health Organization. It contributed more than US $400 million in 2019, both in baseline and voluntary contributions. And Mm. just for comparison, Australia contributed about $63 million in 2018. And member states, as you say, can make voluntary donations, which is part of what the US's funding is made up of, as can private donors. In fact, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the second largest donor to the World Health Organization. It pledged 531 million US dollars over 2018 and 19. That foundation has a really big focus on public health and disease eradication, and they see the World Health Organization as a really good partner for that. And during a crisis such as this, the WHO can also effectively raise money. They can, and at the moment they're trying to raise an additional $675 million US million to tackle coronavirus, and they're about halfway there. So back to Donald Trump, what is his big beef with the World Health Organization and the way it's funded? 
Critics say that he's trying to deflect from the disaster that's unfolded in the US. It has by far the largest number of coronavirus deaths and cases in the world, so there's political pressure there. But Trump has made a point of saying that the US, with its population of 330 million people, covers about 22% of the World Health Organization's mandatory contributions. Meanwhile, China, with its 1.4 billion people, will stump up about 12% in the next couple of years. So Trump thinks that China has too much influence in forums like that, given the level of funding that they contribute. And the US, given it contributes more, has been sidelined. So he sees insult to injury, particularly in this case of coronavirus, because the virus kicked off in China and the US has now suspended its funding for three months and will conduct a review. And for Australia's part, whilst we haven't been as direct in our criticism of the WHO or of China, our government has said that there should be an international inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus. We have. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has warned the wrath of China when he made that comment that he thought was reasonable and sensible for a big independent inquiry to be undertaken into the crisis. That would involve a look at China's end of things and also the World Health Organization's handling of it, something that China has taken real exception to. So when you say wrath, the Chinese ambassador, for example, in Canberra has suggested that Beijing could stop tourists and students coming to Australia and that the Chinese public would boycott Australian beef and wine. A pretty big call. It is, and Chinese state media has called Australia gum stuck to China's shoe. Morrison hasn't backed down, however, and the US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has said who in the world wouldn't want an investigation of how this happened to the world. So a lot more to come, but now we've got the background, especially to note is that the World Health General Assembly is due to meet on the 17th of May. Expect plenty of news in the Squeeze Today podcast, I'd say, about that. That's your shortcut to the World Health Organization. On to our recommendations. Included in each episode of Squiz Shortcuts is a recommendation from us on something further to expand your knowledge of the topic. What do you got, Claire? One's a little bit off topic, but related. I really enjoyed a Netflix series called Inside Bill's Brain. Mm. It's particularly about Bill Gates and the way he thinks about things and how he's developed his special interests as well as his success. And he's particularly obsessed about better public toilets. And that is, of course, a really big issue in developing nations, hygiene and all of those sorts of things. So it's a lot of what he and the World Health Organization work on. And I found it really interesting. Interesting. I've seen it pop up on Netflix and haven't. Yeah, it's a good one. Hit play. It's a good one. Okay, I'll do that. And I have a rather snappy Time magazine piece on Dr. Tedros. It was written pre corona, but it gives you a little snapshot to the man in the World Health Organization's top job. Thanks for listening in. If you like what you've heard, please tell people about our shortcuts. Also, we'd love it if you could leave us a review. Get in touch with any suggestions. Also, we've had a few people asking about the South China Sea, Claire, and what that is all about. We might try and get that one in next week or in the next couple of weeks. In the meantime, have a great week. Bye.